cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is my right-hand man, Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Gary Santos, CEO of Tilt Holdings. Thanks for taking the time, Gary. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. So I'd love to know, let's let's go back to the origin before you got into cannabis. Was there any hesitation from your part to kind of dive in headfirst and, and join the cannabis industry? Uh, the industry, no. I mean, again, having worked in casino gaming, it's hard to sit there and talk about vice, you know, and not think about that. And even when I was working in finance, obviously, you know, the company I worked for focused on student loans. So I think along those lines, I think there's always a use case. The question is, how sustainable is it? What's the total addressable market? But most importantly, what are the bones of the companies that you're looking at? You know, whatever industry it's in. So I looked long and hard at Columbia Care. They're very strong. Similarly, I looked at Tilt. And while certainly their balance sheet wasn't as impressive, when I looked at the underlying businesses, I got really excited. So I'd love for our listeners who may be a little unfamiliar about Tilt Holding to kind of get a little more insight into some of the strategy and some of the core businesses that you discussed prior. Yeah, so we're a little bit of a different cat when it comes to being a multi-state operator. About half of our operations do not touch the plant. So that's our inhalation technology and accessories business, which really is based out of Arizona. And the primary focus is on vaping hardware. So we're one of five distributors of C-cell technology, the ceramic center coil. Uh, in fact, we were the entity that helped S'more, who is the Chinese uh, shop that actually owns the IP, migrate that technology from tobacco, where they have been doing a substantial amount of work, into the cannabis space. So we are the largest C-cell distributor. I think about 50% of C-cell distributed comes through us. Uh, it's really a business-to-business play. Uh, so there, we're not selling directly to end consumers. We're selling to brands, MSOs, LPs. Uh, throughout the country and uh, abroad. That's one half of the business. Then the other half of the business is your more traditional MSO. So we're in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and recently signed a partnership to enter New York. And there we have vertical operations, fully vertical in Massachusetts, where we have retail, cultivation, and manufacturing. Pennsylvania, it's cultivation and manufacturing. Ohio, which is manufacturing. New York will be full vertical. For a company that's operating vertically integrated, who has operations in multiple states with all the challenges that go in just that area, now to add on the technology side as well, from a day-to-day standpoint, are you being pulled in multiple directions from different conceptual thoughts? Like, Can you kind of share some insights on how that works? I mean, it's easy to get distracted and lean too much on one side of the business to the other. And I think putting together a really solid team and making sure they understand exactly what the mission is and what we're trying to accomplish has been extremely helpful. The team I have now, uh, you know, I think all the, all the big hiring's done. I've got all the right people in all the right places. They're handpicked. And look, many of them have carried through from prior to years. This wasn't just a blowout of the team. Uh, I think getting them to understand how we need to treat our partners' brands as if they were our own and not get into these arguments is a key component to that. And also never forgetting where you fit in that value proposition, right? So if you're not growing good flour and you're not processing efficiently and you're not managing your supply chain, well, then you're just a good story who can't seem to execute. And, you know, I'm lucky to have such a strong team around me that we can focus on these things. I want to talk more about the Shinnecock partnership. So when you guys link up, is it 
deployment of assets onto their site to help them kind of get started? Are you kind of more of a secondary approach from like a managerial perspective saying like, here, this is some guidance? You know, what type of a partnership approach is it? Is it hands-on or is it more kind of top level? I think initially it's going to be extremely hands-on. So obviously we're providing the financing and then also all the design and con- construction. So we're, we're designing what the facility is going to look like. We'll start off providing expertise, but our goal is to hire as many of the native, you know, who live on, on sovereign land as possible and train them up. Now, obviously, they're not going to step right into senior level positions on day one, but there's no reason why they can't have a career progression. Much in the same way we do our own leadership training throughout TILT, we want to extend that program to the Shindicock Nation as well. And for all those who raise their hand and want to be involved, there will be a career path for them. I wonder, in your opinion, Gary, does there need to be a difference in, in messaging between the West Coast brands and the East Coast, just based on the educational level and the experience between the products? I don't know if it's messaging or just a little more education. You know, let people know why they should care about a certain form, a certain terpene blend, or why they should care about a certain form factor, right? Sometimes it's going to be obvious. Uh, more times than not, it's probably not. There are just variations on a theme or slight gradations. You know, do you want natural terpenes or not? Do you want infused or not? So I think a little more education. Before we dive into the supply chain, there's one aspect you just didn't expand upon, which is if you see a competitor's product is flying off the shelf in a form factor that you don't currently produce, you likely can consider it in the future, maybe similar to how Amazon did with the batteries. Is that a concept you've considered internally? In terms of what, working with them or just trying to mimic? Maybe mimicking and saying, hey, maybe this, like the beverage is flying off the shelf. Maybe we should consider investing in a beverage company. We've seen this is really important to the demographic we've locked in in our stands. Our competitor's product is flying off the shelf. Maybe this is a good product category to look for in our core location here in the Northeast. Sure. We're always looking at what's hot in the market um, because that helps us decide which brands make sense, right? So we're looking for intentional brand architecture, Uh, you know, like some of those celebrity endorsed brands where it's literally the name and there's no other piece to it. That's not exciting to us. But if you give, you know, a real thoughtful piece where there's a great origin story and there's an actual construct to the brand, we love those. What has surprised you the most? for running an MSO, something that an everyday user of the plan or, or intro, hobbyist of the industry wouldn't know? Wow, that's a good one. You know, it's funny. I think from an everyday perspective, I guess, it does amaze me how different each harvest can truly be, even if it's the same strain. Same strain, same light, same fertigation, and you can just get somewhat different results, especially in the Northeast where you have such wild swings in the temperatures. You know, and I think, you know, the assumption is, hey, I grow indoors, so I'm impervious to all of this. You're really not. Growing in Massachusetts, it's hard. And if you look at the HVAC system we use, for example, it's not controlling humidity by temperature. It's controlling temperature through humidity. It's kind of inverted, right? You have to, because in Massachusetts, you get these wild swings of humidity. So I think the level of science that really goes into growing these plants, I never appreciated it anywhere near the level now. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? You know, it's funny. I think that everybody just wants to get hot. You know, it's, it's not episodic. There are certainly folks out there who definitely do purchase that way, depending on the demographic. But the number of use cases I've seen, the medical aspect, I didn't really fully appreciate. And I sometimes wonder, if you discovered this plant today and you showed the medical benefits of it today, you'd probably be buying it down the aisles of Whole Foods and so many different form factors. But you've got over 100 years of prohibition. You've got the counterculture movement. You've got everybody has a view on cannabis, right? It's like the only emerging industry I've ever worked in where you don't really have to educate people about the core product. In fact, you have to uneducate them and re educate them. 
uh, because they all have a, a you know bizarre view on how you can make money or not make money with cannabis. So I think that that's been probably the biggest eye opener for me that there's so much good that could be done here if we could just get past some of those other pieces. If you can sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? Business is business. Uh, I've heard people say to me, hey, budgets don't matter in cannabis. Productivity doesn't matter in cannabis. And most of those people, maybe it didn't, and they're probably trying to figure out what their next career move looks like. The reality (laughs) is it does matter. At the end of the day, you're trying to turn a passion and something that you're intimately you know, attached to and involved with into a career, into a business, into an industry. So you have to remember that there are some rules of business that do have to apply. And it doesn't mean that you're selling out to the man. It doesn't mean that you're becoming some big business, you know, uh, start shirt kind of co- corporate type. It's just you need capital. You need resources to be able to do what you're going to do. And if you truly are into this because you believe in the plant and you're trying to spread uh, you know, that plant around to as many people and as many form factors, you need those resources. So never, never convince yourself that the rules don't apply to you just because you happen to work in cannabis. Well said. All right. Prediction time. It's 2025 for plant touching businesses. Is vertical integration the most profitable business model for cannabis? Predicated on legalization? I don't think so. I think, I think it starts to become a drain on the market. For those who are looking to get in touch and learn more, where can they reach you and other members of the team? Sure. So obviously, you can go to our website, www.tillholdings.com. That's a good starting point. Pretty much all of our news and all of our events coming up are there. Cool. We'll link it all up in the show notes, and we'll be looking forward to the Long Island operations so all of our listeners who are out here can get out there, including myself. Thanks so much for your time, Gary. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.